Hello and welcome to Babe Cave. I am Amanda Pollock and this is the Babe Cave Book Club, April 2020 meeting episode, um, the Sula episode. So Sula is um, a work by Toni Morrison, who is, I would say, arguably one of the most prolific American writers um, in literature. She's a Pulitzer Prize winner, also won the Nobel Prize in Literature, and uh, was also awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And to talk about this work today, I have my good friend and friend of the show, Crystal Marie McDaniels. Yes. Hey there. Oh, I feel like I'm like running out into a basketball court now. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't really care anymore at this point, but uh, <laughs> sure, go Clippers. <laughs> um, same. There was a moment where I was like, everything's just terrible. It doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah, um, that's fair. But yes, so Crystal, um, and if you haven't listened, you can go back and listen to the Crystal Marie McDaniels episode. That was probably one of my favorite interviews. Um, but you are a writer. Mm -hmm. You are someone who... Yeah. Oh, I, and I've said this before, but you have such a thoughtful insights on things around us. And you also um, specifically love to talk about the things people don't like to talk about. So My favorite. I, I felt like this was such a good work for us to talk about, um, especially because, I mean, I'm a white woman. So it, I felt like- Adult it one. <laughs> I felt like it was wrong for me just to talk about Toni Morrison, who focused so much on the African-American experience um, and, and not having that voice. And you and Toni um, share the experience also of going to Howard University. Oh, man. Black college. It's so cool to say I share something with Toni Morrison. That just... <laughs> we have this thing in common. <laughs> It's so, I mean, I'm going to be honest, though, as I was reading up more on her history, it's like, I, Crystal is like the perfect person for like, even just oh, man. how she talks about like her points of view of things. And I don't know. I'm so anyway, all of that to say, I'm very excited for us to be doing this. Yes. And I would like to publicly out myself as someone who, um, previous to touching base with Amanda, who happens to be a white woman. Um, I had a very uh, surface level knowledge of Toni Morrison, something I'm very ashamed of, um, but she forced me to revisit Toni Morrison. So I guess that's some great ally work right there. Um, and I, I'm really excited about that. So thank you to Amanda. I want to publicly acknowledge that I'm very grateful to you for bringing this giant um, of Howard University, of literature, of blackness, of all of that into my world. So. I owe you that lifetime gratitude. I mean, you are just too kind. I love you. Um, and I had, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit before, but I mean, Toni Morrison, I'm going to be honest, her work scares me just because it's yes, like, it's I intimidating. Know, oh my goodness. Cause it is so prolific. And I shared that 
And my first experience with her was reading Song of Solomon, which I would say is probably one of the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. There's a lot. Um, I think that, um, I think that a lot of people and, and people often are ashamed to admit this, but I think that a lot of people's first experience with Toni Morrison is one of like, whoa, hold on. What's happening here? <laughs> I need a second. Um, I think they know that they've come across something that's different and special, but they aren't quite sure how to digest it. And um, I hope that this is a safe space for people to acknowledge and admit that. Yes, yes. Like, um, and and I've mentioned this in um, previous book club episodes, but, you know, literature and books and reading and all of that stuff, like, it can be fun, you know, like you, you can, mm -hmm. you can read something. I, I remember even being in my English um, college classes and, and that's my major and reading something. I remember reading Song of Solomon and being like, wow, there's so many like beautiful sentences. Like her descriptions are ones that just cut to the core. Like, yeah, it, she knows it. Oh my gosh, it, it is such a good lesson, even for me as like a writer of like, okay, this is how you get to the core of, of emotion. But I was like, oh, I really like this, but I just liked it and I couldn't identify it. And so, right. you know, I think that's also a fair thing that you can read something and just like it and maybe you don't have the words for it, but it's okay. Right, <laughs> right. They have given you all the words, you just took them in. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, oh, she, um, she's one of those people that makes me wonder um, how could anyone take her work and turn it into a movie and give it the same, um, the same color, the same just richness. It feels almost impossible to put on screen, which obviously Oprah Winfrey did for Beloved. But I, um, I just can't imagine that, you know, the book that we're going to talk about. I don't even know how someone would make that a movie. I have no idea how you would, where you would even start because it's just the pictures that it creates in your mind. I don't know how you put that on screen. That's such a fair point because, um, how there's so much internal work that she does. She d uses very yep. little dialogue. So I don't, yeah. that's such a good point. I didn't actually even think about that. Um, but Okay, so I guess we should, people are like, okay, talk about the book now. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I guess, so was, was it how you thought it would be or was it different? I'm curious. So um, the descriptions for the book are, this is a story of uh, friendship between two women and there's a betrayal. It's, and it's almost like, um, this is why I don't like watching movie trailers because I feel like you see the whole movie in the trailer and there's only a little bit left by the time you get to the movie. And so I think that's all I knew is that it was a friendship between two women. And there was a betrayal. And I wish I had known about the betrayal part because I feel like that I was kind of waiting for that to happen at any point. And then, um, but it, it didn't change the fact that it was still uh, quite the betrayal and it still caught me off guard and it still was, um, beautiful to watch everything unfold and it was not at all I don't know what my expectations were I just knew that the last time I'd read Toni Morrison I was overwhelmed and I couldn't quite follow it and I had to read it very slowly like a chapter at a time take a break think about it come back to it so I was going into this 
um, expecting to have that same experience. But what I forgot was that my life has changed dramatically <laughs> since the last time I read this book. And now I am uh, a mom. I'm a wife. I'm someone who has gone from these are my big dreams and to like, okay, these are my dreams and this is practically what I can do in this moment right now. And I feel like that context made it so much easier for me to appreciate um, Sula, specifically that last part, you know, having these big ideas and radical ideas of this is what I want to be and this is my purpose and this is what I want to achieve. And then having some life experiences and saying like, okay, so that's what you want to do. Um, this is what you actually can do. And these are the practical things that you may have to do in the interim. And I think, um, not to like go too far into it, but I think that the book, um, it tells the story between one person who chooses, I'm just going to kind of go, uh, for lack of a better term, ball to the wall and do whatever it is I want to do and not really see any, um, any barriers. And then there's another person that's like, well, this is the practical way to go, and this is what I want to do, and this is the life I want for myself, and I can understand those women and have so much more empathy for them in my 30s than I probably would have had at a 19-year-old, 19. That's such a, you know, because I almost forgot in some ways that it really was how they went separate ways, that that was, that's a cornerstone description, you know, of, I mean, that's straight on the back of the book. And it's funny after reading it, and then I, it went in completely different directions for me of like what I thought. And I'm the same. I don't want to know everything about a story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. So that, I'm glad you said that because it brought me in so many ways back to what it really is. But I, the, it does mention the betrayal and I kept waiting for that. And it comes way late in the book. Right. Why would anyone even mention that in a description of the book? I, I mean, that is a good, because I honestly, because it says to, um, you know, that it's two friends who become something worse than enemies. Okay. I also don't think that that is what happened. I don't, I don't either. I don't think, I think whoever wrote the back of this book, they need to, someone needed to edit <laughs> it before because... I, I, I see it as a love story. It's it's like a love loss. Like that's what I that's how I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and in and in a way, almost a romantic love. Like just a very um, passionate love that you you lost. Oh, gosh, so many things. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many things for us to talk about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think that's so. I think that's a good. And also because you can love, yes, all of it. I don't even have to give you more words, all of it. Um, Should we talk about- Is this a podcast where there are spoilers? Like should people have read the book or no? Yes, yes. Okay. So it's already announced. (laughs) So if you're listening to this and you were like, well, I'm not gonna, um, I'm I'm not gonna read it. And then we'll just, you'll find out about most of it here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yes, they already, they already know, but that's a good question. Um, okay. And still, you still should read it, even if you feel like there were spoilers, because the writing is so good. It doesn't matter that you know what's going to happen. It's still great to hear Toni Morrison tell the story. I mean, for sure. Um, 
I was going to read a little bit of the first paragraph, if that's okay. Go for it. Talk about that description stuff. She says, um, in that place where they tore the nightshade and blackberry patches from their roots to make room for the Medallion City Golf Course, there was once a neighborhood. It stood in the hills above the valley town of Medallion and spread all the way to the river. It is called the suburbs now, but when Black people lived there, it was called the bottom. I mean, good freaking grief. What? What? Yeah. So much in such a, a short amount of time. And um, I wanted to share real quick, um, she talked specifically about this beginning um, in a... Uh, a lecture um and she said that you know for most of her she's um that in every other book um she was very abrupt with how she started things and she said mm -hmm. that um only sula has this entrance the others refuse the presentation refuse the seductive safe harbor the line of demarcation between the sacred and the obscene public and private them and us refuse an effect cater wow. to the diminished expectations of the reader or his or her alarm heightens by the emotional luggage one carries into the black topic text and she was going to start it with how the second um the second chapter starts, which is, except for World War II, nothing ever interfered with the celebration of National Suicide Day. So I think yeah. you see the difference of yeah. <laughs> lyrically. Um, but I thought that was interesting. And also she mentioned that the um, that Nightshade and Blackberry, um, they are it's all about the juxtaposition of, you know, um, you know, nightshade is, is poisonous and blackberry is common and, and good, but that those two things live together. And that's so much yep. of what this book was, you know, good and bad. Yeah. Like it's, it's all there. All there. Yeah. And, and fortunately, um, I feel like anyone that lives in a, in a major city, and follows the story through to the end can kind of foresee the gentrification that occurs and where mm -hmm. the neighborhood that was the one only good enough for the marginalized the black the poor is now the, the desired area so now y'all have to leave um and so i was like oh that's that hits way too close to home mm -hmm. too close to uh, los angeles to dc to um charlotte even Oh yeah, I mean, um, when I lived in Oakland, it's the same. Nashville, oh, wow. it's the. Yeah. Um, in fact, they um, the we just had a, a two deadly tornadoes come through, and um, one of the neighborhoods that was hit, um, it's a, a well-established, um, predominantly black neighborhood that most of us mm -hmm. in the neighborhood, like most of us in Nashville, who you know a lot of us aren't from here but there's community efforts to really to save that neighborhood of you know making sure yeah. developers don't come in um so there's been a lot of like community effort trying to to help but that was exactly my thought when i read that of like oh is she talking about now i think that's just the mark of a good yeah. 
Yeah, it's always happening. Um, always a thing. It's <clears throat> and this kind of um, this goes into before the interview. You sent me two pieces um, of media that I would love for us to talk about because I think that sets up the framework for the book. But um, of Toni Morrison's point of view and and why that point of view is so important, like in her writing. And you sent me the well, one thing. Oh yeah, you can play. But one thing that I just want to share that I love about Toni Morrison that just kind of making me a fan is um, she is able to articulate a what some may say is controversial or. Um, I don't want to say radical, because I don't think it's radical, but what some people may perceive to be a radical viewpoint in such a way that you're just like, did I just get hit over the head and I didn't realize it? Because she speaks so calmly and yet directly. It's like she's like a scalpel. Like she, oh <laughs> she's not a butcher. Like she is just so clear and direct. And then you're just like, what just happened? Did I just get assaulted and I didn't know? Um, and I love that because I think so many times people, particularly my experience has been, and I know that this is the experience of many other black women, is that when we say something that people don't like to hear, we're perceived as like this angry, like aggressive person with a nasty attitude. And I think that, that there's no way you can walk away from a conversation with Toni Morrison, no matter how much she has hurt your feelings or just like laid out the truth to you and feel like she was a nasty, angry woman. Like she's just like, I'm gonna give it to you, but you're gonna hear, but I'm not gonna say in a way that you assume that I'm gonna say it. And I, I aspire, that's something I need to work on. <laughs> I love that. Well, I think you do better than you think um, with that, but that is such a, you know, I I thought about that when I was because okay, so the first clip, um, the one of the first clips that you um you shared with me before the interview, it was Toni Morrison was asked by a um a a reporter, a, a white woman, essentially why she um if she ever thought about writing from the point of view of of a white person. Essentially, I know I'm kind of butchering. But no, no, that's right. Yeah, and so, um, which then Tony, Tony Morrison really responded that the line that hit me the hardest was, you don't understand how racist that is of you to ask. Oof. I'm clutching my pro. <laughs> <laughs> but in everything that you said too of like, she and she was calm and she was like, she was poised and she was, you know, nothing kind of, um, rattled her and I felt like wow I if I was asked if I was her and I was asked that I don't know what I would do yeah I mean I think I would have had a response but it, it wouldn't have I just sort of said why don't you ask someone else to do that like why is that my responsibility I would have probably responded and I think fairly um, a bit more combative and I think that she just was like and I also think it comes from, I'm sure she's been asked that question in different ways, several different times. And so I think she was just like, let me just nip this right here. Mm -hmm. I, um, and then you also sent an interview um, 
between her and Charlie Rose. And yeah, she, the, the thing that was interesting to me, you know, in her whole um, argument really is just that, like, you would never ask a white writer why they're not writing from the black perspective. Right. And no one can say anything to that. Like, it's not her, like, you know, it's not her. I was thinking about this too, of just like, you know, the the power of writing from your own experience. And you have writers like Flannery O'Connor, who, you know, she wrote novels, Mm -hmm. known for her short stories, also brutal. I mean, just violence, terrible violence. Um, But she had a very specific point of view and it was because of things that she grew up seeing and you know Toni Morrison was the same so I don't understand like for me I was just watching it and I was like I'm still confused why this is a why people think this is a problem right yeah just or even why someone would like why it would just come to someone to ask them to write about something completely outside of their own experience and or that's also been done by quite a few people already. It isn't as if there's a dearth of novels about the white experience or about white people. Mm-hmm. And if you're really, um, if you really want to like, like for me, if I want to have more empathy or compassion for a certain group, be it, you know, um, you know, if it's, and because also too, you know, she, what I never heard her say was like, I am the one voice for the entire community, which I think some people no. feel like, and that's no, no person is the voice for any community, but if, right. you, if you do want to, you know, learn more of just about other people's stories, if you do just want to hear more about that, I would much rather go to the source of someone who experienced that because there's depth that you're not going to get from like if it was me writing about it there's only my lens is only so large oh is this an american dirt conversation <laughs> <laughs> oh but man. i'm saying like there's only so much you know um that you can see and um you know and her time um at howard was one that like shaped a lot of the things that that she saw and the things that she saw shaped her writing and how she then yep. the world. And so, um, yeah. And I, I haven't heard specifically what she said about her Howard experience. Um, but I, what I will say for me is I had a, and many black people will, will say this, but I'll, I'll just out us. Um, many black people who grew up in suburban areas, um, or who just went to predominantly white schools for K through 12. They didn't grow up in black schools. Um, we had a very uh, narrow view of what it meant to be black. We thought that, well, I, I won't say we, I'll say I. I thought that I was an anomaly and that I was a black person who listened to more than hip hop and rap and who listened to John Mayer and who was really uh a nerd really focused on school and it sounds like completely ridic- ridiculous to me now saying that and I can't believe I thought that way but that was kind of a lot of what I saw and what I experienced and I thought that I was a special unicorn and um, I visited Howard University as a high school senior 
and um, all that got shut down. I realized real quick that I was not special. Um, I was not a unicorn and I need to be humbled and that there's a big world of, of black people that are, there's for every kind of white person there is, every kind of music there is, there's a black person that is into that, that creates that or that does that. And actually maybe we created it first, Elvis Presley. So it was this mind boggling to um, kind of get there and see that there were black people. Yes, there were some black people that were from housing projects and that, you know, grew up near gangs or whatever the prevailing stereotype is. But there were also black people whose uh, parents were maybe the president of Nigeria or who mm-hmm. <laughs> were um, local leaders in their communities or they were the sons of mayors or they were uh, they were their class president. And um, it was just really, it was just really eye-opening for me to see the diversity of what it means to be a Black American. And I think that almost every Howard student has that experience where you get there and you make an assumption about someone and then it gets turned upside down. And I'm, I'm assuming that happens at any university with a diverse population, but especially at Howard, um, because it's an HBCU and there's a large international um, student base there as well, you meet people who are from Poland and then you're like, oh, you're Polish or you're black. And they're like, well, I'm Polish and I just happen to be black. And you're just like, I never even thought of those two things being one and the same. Like, so it's just a, um, I can understand why Toni Morrison, when she's telling these stories, she doesn't feel like she's telling a narrow view. She feels like she's telling the story of a very diverse group of people who many are poor, many are not. Um, mm-hmm. Some are proper, some are not. Some served in in war in the in the military and did other things. And she's able to give like a, a full body, three dimensional view of a community that many people tend to kind of have like a one-dimensional view of a very, like, you know, you look at a movie like Dangerous Minds and you're just like, man, there's all these black kids that if someone could just come and save them. (laughs) And then you get to Howard and you're like, these don't need to be saved or most of them are totally fine. So um, for me, it was was a very humbling, like, you have no idea what you're talking about, Crystal Marie experience. And, um, it was weird because, and Amanda, you know this because you know where I went to high school, but mm-hmm. I remember the, my entire life, I've always been a minority, you know, aside from like maybe when I'm going to church or a family reunion, but for the most part, I've always been like the one black kid in class or um, you go to the mall and like there's maybe this is where like where the black kids hang out, but the rest of the mall is like everyone else. And so it's so funny. After just like three months at Howard, I went home and I went to the mall. And I remember thinking, I am surrounded by so many white people. Why are there so many white people here? <laughs> I was almost like, I just, my new normal was just to be around uh, just black people. Like, and some of that is Howard, some of that is Washington, D.C. It's a very, it's changing yeah. now, but it t- tends to be a very black city. And so um, I remember it was like my brain was just kind of like confused for a minute, like, whoa, like, why are, where, where, where are my people? <laughs> and I had to kind of, you know, I'm fine now. I can be in anywhere and be okay. But for a second, just because I had been in that space, it was difficult. And so, um, you know, Toni Morrison, to get back to the topic at hand, I can totally understand why she centers her story around Black communities. And that makes sense for her. And she sees no reason 
to write about what other people may call the mainstream culture. Because if you're in DC, if you're at Howard University, the mainstream is just you. Like, um, I remember I visited Columbia University for a college tour, maybe like a month after I visited Howard. And I had already decided I was going to Howard. I was just going. Um, so I remember I noticed like all of the black kids, like the, the black person that gave us the tour, she was like very militant, very angry. And just like, we do this. And like, we like are fighting the power. And I was just like, man, like, that seems exhausting to do while you're in school, you know, like you're just, cause you're, you know, you're dealing with all these different forces and oppression and, yeah. um, you, you know, and so I just remember thinking like, I'm so glad I'm going somewhere where like, I can just have a moment to breathe and I can talk about mm-hmm. racism and race and oppression and all these different things. So I don't have to actually deal with it in a meaningful way while I'm learning about it. Like I can just kind of like take a breather for a second. Mm-hmm. So Anyway, that was a very long backstory, but I said all that to say Toni Morrison's work as a Howard graduate makes so much sense. <laughs> no, I love that. And I, um, it's, well, especially in the now, when, when you, once you just said that about the mall, like I'm just picturing the mall, I'm like, no, oh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty white. It's pretty, that would be, yeah. that would be a thing, man. Um, it's interesting sometimes too how when you're just around you know certain people and you were talking about how you felt like you were you know a unicorn um which I I I mean I still think you're pretty special um but when but especially with that of you know I have um I have a friend in LA who um she was actually my improv um teacher and then we became friends and she also had the experience of she's she um loves to go to fish concerts her and her husband are very like yeah goofy and <laughs> <laughs> that's so corny but cute she um you know and i mean and she loves r&b hip-hop but you know she's more of yeah. a, like a straight up hippie and how yep. people don't know what to do with her a lot of the time yep um mm-hmm. so I, I think that's just that's an interesting thing of, you know, getting out. See, and she would have found her, she would have found her crew at Howard. There would have been someone there that was into it as just as much as her. And she would have been like, I'm not the only one. You're not. Although uh-huh. randomly, I went to a John Legend concert at the Hollywood Bowl a couple of years ago. And there were not that many black people there. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, I was like, Okay, we're integrating the John Legend concert. This is fun. Uh, but I think all of that, though, um, so the so I, I wasn't able to find her words specifically on her time at Howard, but, and I know she, after she graduated, she went to Cornell and then came back to Howard. To right. Um, yep. But this was noted, um, this is after she had passed away this last fall, um that it it shaped so much of um her writing because when she went to Howard um so because it's in DC and she's from Ohio that she faced segregation mm-hmm. in a different way than when she'd grown up like it was mentioned that yeah. the first time she wasn't able to try on clothes in a store and yeah she was working full time and she wasn't able to get credit and you see some of those things pop up 
so in the beginning, like towards the beginning of the book, um, you know, so mm-hmm. it, this is a story of Sula and Nell and, um, you know, it's called Sula, but I would say that, I mean, it, it is the story of both of these people. I don't think absolutely I, no one's yeah. represented really more than the other. Am I right? Right. I agree. Yeah, for sure. Um, but when Nell and her mom go to New Orleans for the, for a funeral, once um, they get to a certain, they're on a train, and once they get to a certain point in the South, there's, there's no more um, restrooms for them. It's just yeah. all that you have to, they had to go to the woods. Yeah. Which, when I read that thing about, you know, that she wasn't able to do some of these things, I was like, I just, it, it opened up my eyes more of how her own experiences have shaped what shows up in her books. Yeah, for sure. And she also, it didn't, even though it was an important part of the book, she didn't turn it into a book about like how horrible my life was as a result of this oppression. It was just like, this is kind of the way, this is just something that happened um, that informed my view of my mother and how she handled adversity. Um but it wasn't necessarily like this is like, you know, the driving force around her life was like dealing with like whiteness because, you know, these characters, they live in the black community and their world was for, for the, even though it was influenced for sure by white supremacy, that wasn't their day-to-day um, concern necessarily. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we had Nell who um, is, and I guess if you, you know, she was, she lived in a house where, um, you know, her mom kept everything in order. It was, she was yeah. a child. It was very, um, I don't want to say like idyllic, but it was more calm than you have Sula. And yeah. you were talking about this before, and I would love for you to share your, your thoughts again about her family. Um, but, you know, she lives with a grandmother and her mom, and there's all of these you know, random children who live there, you know, it's a boarding house and people are coming yeah. in and, out and um, you know, Sula and Nell met at school, I believe. Um, but just very, very different. So you already have this kind of dichotomy of um, yeah. differences, but yeah, I'll, but Sula's family. Well, it, it challenges the notion that a nuclear family in the sense of a mom and dad and, um, you know, and your kids is, is like the only and the correct way to raise your kids and that it yields the best possible outcomes. Mm-hmm. It challenged that pretty quickly. And I think for many people, not necessarily just black people, but um, for many people of color, many people from immigrant cultures, a multi-generational household is the norm. And um, even for me, I grew up with both of my parents, but when my parents divorced and I lived with my mom in South Carolina, we, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. My grandmother didn't raise me, but I spent a lot of time there. I certainly ate more than enough meals at her home. Um, so, uh, best meals of my life. Uh, so I, I, I love that she did that. And I think that within the black community, that isn't like a novel concept or idea is that your grandma or your aunts and uncles or someone else who kind of helps has a hand in rearing you. But I think that what she did, which was important, was she showed that this isn't necessarily, like, one is not necessarily better than the other. Mm -hmm. I think she showed that both, there were some issues with living in Nell's household where, 
you know, everything is, has to be done perfectly and everything has to appear to be good, even if it's not good. Um, whereas Sula was exposed to quite a bit of things. Uh, and some people, like I was sharing with you, some people may say that that was, um, you know, seeing her mother be intimate with lots of men, um, married men, single men, uh, apparently newlywed men, <laughs> um, was, it gave her a perspective of sex is not like this big uh, life-defining act of more of it. This is just something that my mom does in her spare time. And she takes a lover when she wants to, when she feels comfortable and it doesn't make her, you know, a whore or someone to be uh, devalued or someone to be, you know, persecuted, but it's just something that she chose to do. And it gave her, and I don't know, um, if that's the, I definitely don't think it's the worst way to see it. I don't know if it's the best way to, to see it, but I can certainly see why uh, it would frame her view of relationships and intimacy and to see them as a little bit more, I don't know if disposable is the right word, but um, a little more flexible than, a, than the way that Nell grew up. And I think that there is some value and some power to that because I think that men see women that way and um, I think one of the things that sometimes in heterosexual relationships, of course, I'm not speaking for all, but in a heterosexual situation where with a man is seeing as a woman as disposable, but women are seeing men as, um, and not in that way, I think that uneven power dynamic can create a lot of issues, can certainly create quite a scenario on Tinder. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, you know, if they're just kind of like, oh, like these are all these women I can just kind of suckle in and out of. And, and if a woman is looking at these things, it's like, this is my potential life mate or something like you're going into this with just different views and expectations. And I think that there is some power to women seeing that I'm not saying men should be disposable, although, you know, some of them are. I would say that there is some power in, in women saying that they have some agency when it comes to who they are intimate with and what that means and what like what the weight or the burden of an intimate relationship is she may have gone a little too far on one end and Nell may have gone a little too far on the other end but I think you know just seeing both of those perspectives <laughs> is of is of value I'm not suggesting that people go out and sleep with someone who just got married that seems to create its own set of problems but I am saying that there is some value in to feeling comfortable enough with yourself to do what you feel is responsibly uh, what you want to do. And, um, you know, I, again, I don't know that her daughter got the best lessons out of that, but I do think that there is something to be said for that character being represented and for a woman to be able to have that, um, that, that outlook. I completely agree. And because, um, <laughs> There's, but there's that line um, when we're first introduced to this idea, and it says that it's on page 41, and it's the peace women simply loved maleness for its own sake. Eva, old as she was, yeah. one leg, which I want to get to the one leg in a minute, um, <laughs> had a regular flock of gentlemen callers, and although she did not participate in the act of love, there was a good deal of teasing and pecking and laughter. Yep. And Eva was the... Um, is the grandmother. Grandmother. Mm -hmm. I, and we talked about this before, but 
when I read that, there's also, people have a tendency to judge characters in, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if it's not, if, you know, movies or books or whatever. And there's something about the way that Toni Morrison writes where it's completely impartial. Like, I feel like right. that opportunity just to see people for who they are. Every yes. Yeah, you you understand how they came to this position that you may never feel, and you may not agree with it, but you're like, I can see why you got there, and that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I will say the one point that I think for me may have been a little triggering okay. was um, <laughs> Eva's, um, you know, the way she values maleness and just seeing how she treated boys versus um girls and just how she or she would say to a couple like to a woman you know you need to make sure you're feeding him and taking care of him and that's your responsibility and Mm. why is your man hungry and you are something along those lines i can't remember exactly what it was and i i totally have felt that way um and you know my my mom is definitely old school and she's southern she is I can see kind of a um, evolution happening in her. Mm. She is watching This Is Us. And I think that, um, I don't know if you watch This Is Us, but Beth's character is this woman who's very, uh, she's very, like, this is an equal partnership. And I think my mom is, (laughs) she's starting to feel empowered by Beth on This Is Us. And so she's changing. But even now she'll say to me, um, you know, what did you make for you guys to eat? And like, is is a skis okay? You know, referring to my husband, did you make sure he got to eat? And um, it was, to me, it was just like, that I could, it totally made, like that character felt very real to me. Felt very like, I know Eva. I know that woman who's telling women to make sure that they feed their man and so forth. Yeah, there's nothing. I will not be uh, telling my, if I have a daughter-in-law, I will not be telling her that. No, and also I um I did start watching This Is Us. I finished it right around the time of that crock pot. Um Oh gosh, yeah. What a time. Uh no. Sterling K Sterling K. Brown um is he is so great and I, I don't know his the actress who plays his wife. I don't know her name off the top of my head, but um she actually is a Howard University graduate. Fun fact. I love that. Um, <laughs> I can't remember her name either, though, but, but I will remember it in a minute. I love, like, I think that their relationship is beautiful on so many levels. Like, that, the writing of that show is so good. So now I'm like, oh, now I need to go catch up. I think I missed, like, two seasons. Um, oh, you're fine. But you already know, even just that far in, that Beth is not playing around. She's not about these games. <laughs> <laughs> She is not yeah. for sure. Um, no. So Susan Kalecki Watson, that's her name. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just I every time they come, like that's also a show where um, new people come on. I'm like, oh, this is my favorite. No, these are are my favorite. Yeah. Um, yep. If you haven't watched it, my my mom loves that show. Um, Aww. Shout out to Amanda's mom. 
but I got side note real quick because I, she was explaining it to my aunt, my uncle and, but she told them how the, how the whole series starts. The first episode of this is us. First episode is insane. The first episode is probably, I think that it's probably one of the most well-written episodes of television. Yeah. And co-sign 100%. I have told everyone that just watch the first episode. You don't have to watch anymore. Do the first episode, just the way it unfolded. So if there's no way you watch the first episode and your jaw isn't on the floor at the end. Absolutely. <laughs> like it is so good. And so then she was telling my, she's t- like, you don't, if you don't want to know about a movie, don't ask my mom because, or like a book. Oh God. Everything. So she's telling them this and I'm like, but no, just yeah. let them have that surprise. And <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm glad you feel the same because that is so if anyone listening you have not seen the first episode of this is us like crystal said you don't have to watch the whole series but just watch that one so good um yeah so good okay your so- mom and my mom have the same disease by the way <laughs> very troubling like she'll call me and say did you see when uh so-and-so the blah 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 yet and I'm like well uh, I didn't but now I know thank you very much have a good day <laughs> Same disease. <laughs> it must be South, the South Carolina denominator. I think. Something. Yeah, that must be it. Um. So should we? And I. This sounds after all of that. Um. But should we talk about the like murder? <laughs> oh yeah. There's a lot uh, of. There's a few. Yeah. There's a few. <laughs> um. Uh, there's like, a few. The first. The first murder, isn't it Plum, who is technically Sula's, Sula's uncle? Would that, would, well, okay, so this one wasn't a murder, but the first death, I think, is the little boy. Did Chicken die before? I've in my book, because, oh, wait, no, so. I have no idea. Okay, so. I don't remember. Killed, well, I say killed, because Eva, I mean, she lit him on fire. Um, but I know that yeah. she, she, she thought of it as like a humane thing. Um, and then chicken dies like 10 pages later. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, that was, um, you know, I think when people don't understand drug use as a disease, which I'm sure was not the topic of the day, um, at the time this book was written, uh, or the time that this focus in the 1920 or so um i think that is really hard for people to understand when someone is um addicted to a drug like they're not themselves and that it's really their illness is driving their behavior and i i think that people just don't get it and they're just like yeah like you are stealing the tv and like the silverware and mm-hmm. you can't be dependent upon like you're just disrespecting my home I don't know if you're going to kill me. I don't know what you're going to do. And so um, obviously you are now a horrible person. You have to go. And if you don't see drug addiction as a disease like cancer or any other disease, then I think that might be the perspective that you would have. I don't know if you would like someone on fire, but um, I, I'm not saying that I justify it or I, but I, I, I think that for her, because he was her baby and she just loved him so much, 
she couldn't watch him do that to himself. And I, it, which is interesting. This is, I just made this connection to beloved where the mother kills her two year old. So that she, I think it was a girl that so she wouldn't be subject to slavery. Um, and it's almost like she thought she was like saving him. Like, I can't even watch you like harm yourself this way. So I'm just going to, you know, she cuddles him and then she's like, okay, we're done here. Um, Mm-hmm. I'm doing this because I love you and you're done now because you, you, you're harming yourself. You're not who I want you to be. So you have to go. Which is crazy. Um, it is, but it's but, not, um, like the, yeah. when you're, a, I think that it's um, what, what makes it so interesting though, is that there are people who do make these choices every day. Right. It, it may not be. Right same entire context, but sometimes life doesn't hand you two beautiful choices of something. Right. Um, and I, I thought at the end, I'm looking at the end, um, but I, I thought Eva talked about that. Um, I guess she doesn't necessarily address that, but you could tell too that um, there's that moment um, once um, I think Eva like yelled or something or Hannah um, under like realized that there was the fire and yeah was on fire. There's the moment between Hannah and Eva where Eva says, oh, is he, is my baby on fire? And there's this understanding between both of them. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I read that and I could act like, <laughs> I saw it. Like I, I was like, <gasps> there's yeah took my breath away but that's it's such a good um but especially about the drug use the thing that I really liked about how she how Toni Morrison wrote about it is that there's actually only like two or three lines and yeah um and if you haven't read it I'll just let you read those for yourself I won't ruin those because they're actually just very well done but it it wasn't this thing of like this big long you know, drawn out, drug it like it, the nope. it, you know, because sometimes that becomes so much of a book, you know, oh, this really dramatic, right. oh, I have to, to pull whatever in. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was, I mean, to, it, you know, it talked about his kerosene soaked bed and, you know, all of these things and how he saw this white light. And at first, when it said the white light, I was like, oh, is he, did he just die of an overdose? And then in the next yeah. day, I realized that she set the bed on fire. And yeah, I was like, oh man, I, I, I was like, I forgot how like brutal <laughs> Tony yeah. Muff is. Um, yeah, she pulls no punches. She, oh my gosh. Okay. And then Sula and Nell are playing and there's this little boy chicken who um he was playing was he in a tree or something I'm trying to they were he was playing near like that lake and then um I think Sula convinced him to climb the tree with her yes yeah and then uh they came back down and she's swinging him around that was a little hard for me to read because that's, I mean, he's older than my son a little bit, but my son is definitely that kid that likes to climb things and 
Um, you can swing them around, even though I'm a 2020 mom, so I never do that. Um, I'm like, I don't want to pull his joints out. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I could, he's totally a giggly pick his nose baby. And uh, I was just like, I, uh, wow, we just, we're just going to watch that happen. But I mean, I guess that is how it would go. You, They're so little. I don't know. It's pretty fast. I mean, it's it's also kind of different too. I feel like now people just don't like open the door and send their kids outside and like that's that. Um, yeah, maybe I mean, for this very reason, but um, it's it just seems like such a different world where you would just like stumble upon a kid in the forest with no adult there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, was, I mean, I, I, I do remember as a kid, like playing when we lived in Texas, we lived, there was like a, like a forest, but it was definitely pretty wildernessy and there were snakes and stuff. And we just like, we're back there. And I guess we could have got bit by a snake, but there was no one really watching you. You're kind of just doing your thing. But I just don't think that that's a thing that people really do with regularity now. Uh, no. And also like, something that you just said gave me this picture of um chicken just like walking around like in the fort you know and then you just come up it just it is such a different time it's just an odd thing where you're like oh this little boy is just walking and then all of a sudden you see like two girls you know the way that it was yeah that it's just so far removed but um you know it was it was just Sula they were she was swinging him and then all of a sudden lost the grip and you know, he ended up in the water and then Sula and Nell are just watching. And and it didn't say there was a struggle or anything, but they're just standing there and they don't do anything, which. Yeah, that sounds about right for kids. Right. And, and also it's interesting because um, Nell was so proud of herself. Sula was, you know, upset. She thought that um, uh, Shadrach, a man about town who lives by himself in the, in the woods mm -hmm. that he had seen that. And Nell was like priding herself on that. She remained so calm, you know, that she really saw that as yeah. she later, you know, comes to stuff down the road realizations. But I mean, it, that place. That's not normal to be calm about. Uh, uh, and yeah. Because then you also, and then the next thing that, um, that happens is, you know, Eva has um, all of these kind of like premonitions. Hannah said something, was it Hannah who said something about the red dress, the, the red wedding dress? Uh, oh, maybe. Yeah, she had a dream. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some, another thing is, is that the way that a lot of these characters are written and I read commentary on this but that they're so interchangeable like they have so many of similar like similar qualities hmm. like even with Nell and Sula there's sometimes where I'm like wait which one did what because right yeah, yeah. Um, well one thing I thought was really interesting was I really I don't really know any kids that can keep secrets at all like I thought it was like miraculous that they that neither one of them told anyone what happened um because my niece who is nine she is the biggest snitch of all time like she 
um, it's kind of crazy. My last Black Friday around Christmas, my mom took her um, with her when she went to do shopping. And my mom's husband had said, like, hey, don't buy too much stuff. You know, just, just get a few things. Don't go crazy. And my mom pulled back up to the house. And before she turned the car off, my niece had, like, taken the receipt and ran in the house and showed it to my mom's husband and was like, look at all this stuff grandma bought, even though you told her not to. And I was like, OMG, you're like a maniac. So I'm thinking about her and I was listening to this, you know, how they just kept it to themselves. And I was like, either these kids are like completely different than any other kids that I've ever met in my life, or they have experienced such crazy trauma that they have learned to be quiet. And so Nell being raised by this woman that's like, everything has to be neat. Everything has to be orderly. Don't get too loud. Don't make a fuss. That makes sense to me that she kept it to herself. And Sula, I mean, she's living in this house where all this crazy stuff is going on. She just doesn't want to get in trouble. And so, and I think she too was affected by it. You know, it seemed like the funeral was difficult for her. But I, I was just so amazed by how Tony was able to show the trauma they endured by the fact that they were able to keep this a secret as children. Like Tony Morrison had two kids. She knows kids don't keep secrets. They can't, like they literally cannot. And it was just so eye-opening to see like these kids have already experienced way too much of life if they're able to keep this to themselves. That's such a good point. I I honestly didn't even think about that. There was something about Shadrach that made me think that that scared them, like their interaction with him. Yeah. Right, kids can't. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that too. Um, well, and then, so, because now really just, she says that she watched, or she saw it happen. There's this distinction between watching and seeing. Um, but mm -hmm. then when Hannah, um, you know, there's kind of these premonitions that, you know, something is going to happen, these signs um, for Eva and Hannah. But then when you know, she's yeah. outside with that fire and then she catches on fire. Yeah. Is that Sula just watched it happen and that she thought that she was interested in it. Not scared, not anything, which I, that's a chilling, I mean, that's even just a chilling statement. It gives me, it, I just got goosebumps. Thinking about that. Yeah. That, and yeah, and I think that there is such a disregard or just such a low value placed on the lives of Black people in that community that maybe that was internalized, you know, when Jenny Little, like, dies in the, I mean, if anything happened to my kid, um, he was, like, toddling around in the woods of North Carolina and then was drowned there would not be this like, oh, well, we don't know what happened. There would be, I would hope, some type of investigation um, into what happened. And it seems like when Black people died in um, Medallion, Medallion, is that right? Yeah. Um, like, it was just, like, it just was, it wasn't really a thing. Like, his body was, they, the guy begrudgingly, like, got the body back to their community. Like, it just seems like, 
people had such little regard or value for their life. I don't know if that was something that they also, they saw life as a, a little less um, valuable. I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional. That's a good point. Um, because there's so, there's so many times where you become a product of things that you see and not knowing it. And, and I, and even when, even when that happened, like it was, you know, like I said, the line chilled me, but yeah, I wasn't judging any of these people. I try really hard not to judge anyway, but there were so many things that happened where I feel like it could be very easy for you to say, Oh, no, I, that's unacceptable. But that, that wasn't the case. Like I, you, you're just, you're really observing this with, um, I guess just, I, I don't know what the right word is, but, um, yeah, yeah. You kind of have like a objective, almost like critical eye, but uncritical eye. Yeah, because it, um, there are so many layers. And I think too, something about this is, um, I think really good writers can put you in a place where you really understand that the line between quote unquote good and evil is so thin and that lies within all of us. So it's so easy for one thing to uh, determine the rest of your life or, you know, for people to mark you a certain way. So I find myself having more empathy for people when I see things like that. Like Sula didn't yeah. mean to lose his hand, you know, as she's, you know, chicken's hand is, sure. you know, so, so I think too, you always, you think about that. Like, you know, I think about like, just, it could be a, a second of just something that you didn't mean, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. Um. And then the, and you know, and then they grow up, and um, Nell gets married, and uh, it, it doesn't say really like like Sula leaves, but you only know she left. She left because she comes back, and there's a right a thing about that. So ten years are lost. Um. But now, you know, mentions that, you know, it feels like she, you know, can see again, that she got her sight back, like a cataract was removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which. I've had those kind of friendships. They're special. Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. a beautiful way to describe that. Yeah. And then. I remember when I moved to, uh, sorry, when I moved to LA from DC, there was a, I had a friend that we were like, brother and sister basically yeah and I remember the first week I moved to LA he said I feel like someone cut my arm off (laughs) and I felt the same way because I was just so used to you know us hanging out going to happy hours or and I don't even drink but just going I got really good cheap calamari um (laughs) you know after work and it was just like my person that I just talked to about everything and I I understand that that feeling of a friendship where you feel like you and that person's existence is kind of tied together. Yes. And also too, like when that person comes back and there are, you know, the the way that it's just, I think one of my favorite um, scenes, they're in the kitchen, Sula, like Nell is, you know, just cleaning up after her family and, you know, getting ready. I think the kids are coming home or something or, um, mm-hmm. but it was just such a real thing. Like, I think you can place yourself in like, 
yeah, there's those friends who, you know, you have your, your friends who maybe you um, only go to dinner with, or you, you know, you don't do like regular life with, and then you have the ones. Yeah. Who, yes. Come over. The house is a mess. You're just going to have to do exactly. watch me, you know, wash the dishes. Um, but it was the description of like that. Now the way that how hard she was laughing and yeah, you know, so when, good. I was like, dude, I got it. I need to, then I was like, I just need to read more Toni Morrison because I think it's such a good lesson in how to just write well. Um, cause there yeah. were so many times where I was like, oh, this is so good. Um, yeah. and then Sula and then Sula sleeps with Nell's husband. And that was the, yeah. and that comes at the end. And so I, I it was kind of, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it was like anticlimactic, but there was just something where it's like, is that it? It wasn't the betrayal yeah. I really felt. And I tell, and tell me what you thought. Like, I didn't feel like it came across as such a betrayal. No, I think it came across as like, like, I feel like Sula just didn't really, it's almost like she didn't really believe in like possession of people. It's like she just believed that, like, you know, based on her mother, what she saw with her mother is that if there's, like, sex is not, like, this big weighty thing. It's just something that you do with someone if you feel like, if you feel like it. If you want to be with this person and they're available to you, then sure. Like, is it my best friend's husband? Irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's going to go for it. It, didn't feel, it, was, it certainly didn't feel malicious it felt careless but not malicious and i think i don't even know that nell felt like she lost like this great love it was more so just like she knew that her life was now like the relationship with sula would be different the relationship obviously with her husband is completely different and her life would be different just honestly purely from like an economical practical standpoint is like you know i no longer have this person that i made a life with because the person who I love the most um, decided he was her plaything for the moment. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel it didn't feel like a romantic loss. It felt more like a I do think a betrayal is the right word, but it didn't feel like just like not as malicious, almost like an accident, like a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, that does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Um... I guess that the word betrayal seems so, um, when I, it feels like there's a lot of intention. <laughs> some, some, for some reason, I'm just imagining lifetime original movies when I'm thinking of like yeah. this, you know, big betrayal, but the way it was written too, is just that like now saw them together yeah. and then, which, there's so much, and this is, I don't know if you have this experience, but there's so much about Toni Morrison's like writing where I'm like, wait, are they seeing this or are they thinking this or? Oh yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. So place and all of that is so fluid that there are times where I'm like, I have to go back and see like, wait, did she see them or was she imagining? Did someone tell them what happened? Yeah. 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 Um, it's almost like you don't know exactly who the narrator is. 
Yes. Um, which may be why it feels so objective, why it feels like everyone's voice has equal um, weight and everyone's perspective is equally valuable, even if they're like the person that slept with their best friend's uh, husband. <laughs> yeah, well, and also that um, the, the, but then, and the narrator though feels so close too, which is such yeah thing that you can be um objective and you know but still have this like very intimate thing because there are times where I'm like but wait this is this is so like this is so-and-so's perspective wait is it um oh oh my gosh there's so many things to unpack only we had 12 hours um yeah <laughs> well so and yeah. the thing for me like because it you know Toni Morrison, like, you know, she, she does like a lot of like circular stories. So you come back to where you end. So she comes back to the town. Um, and I'll be honest, like, as I was, as I was reading, I was looking at different commentaries and people were, I, I guess I missed this. This is embarrassing to say on this, but did I miss something? Cause someone said that Shadrach, who it started with the National Suicide Day. That was how this was supposed to start, you know, this depressed yeah. soldier. But that people followed him into the lake or the water? He, <laughs> yeah. So at the end, when they're doing the parade and there's a tunnel that's like half finished, um a bunch of people like he's like marching into it and some people didn't stop and some of them marched in and they died i don't think they were trying to commit suicide okay. i think the tunnel was not done and so yeah some of them died okay so yeah. uh-huh okay well See, that's also another thing is that I feel like it was kind of, it's like looking at the, I'm looking at the page and it's hidden within other things too. Like how she talks about like some of the descriptions and stuff. Anyway. I yeah. I mean, you just assume that when someone's going to talk about someone, you know, marching to their death, that it wouldn't be talked about like you're discussing a parade. So it kind of like escapes yeah. you if you're not really paying attention. And the only reason I got it was because I remember she references like earlier in the book that the Deweys um, and some other people like took him up on National Suicide Day, like they decided to commit suicide. So I was already expecting them to kill themselves, which they didn't actually do. I think it was an accident, but they did die. So I think that's why I was like, oh, someone must like these people are going to die because she said that other people. Um, partook in National Suicide Day with them. And I, so that's why I was like looking for it. Okay, because I um, I knew that it would come back around at some point. Yeah. I thought that more so, and it, I guess that, you know, Shadrach and Nell have this moment at the end where um, of recognition from years ago when with yeah. what happened. Yeah. Um, but I, I just thought it would come back in like a major way. It was just so delicate how she, yeah. that I think that was what 
through me again, you know, you're looking for these big things and she writes it just so smoothly and um, yeah. like with such care. Cause I, I know, see, and that's so terrible for me. I'm like, wait, all of these people that, that, that's why I got so scared of not scared, but like intimidated by reading her because you know, mm -hmm. you sit in a class and people are like, yeah. And then everybody followed Shadrach, you know, or half of them, they thought they were following him, but they just, you know, didn't stop and they go into the lake. I'm like, what, what book did I? Yeah, yeah. no, it, it was, it was kind of, um, yeah, it just kind of happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, does this make you, as we wrap up, like, does this um, inspire you to read more of her stuff? Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. And I, and I, I don't know that you mentioned it, but I, or you mentioned it to me earlier. Um, I'm really glad that I read the forward because, mm, um, I always, and I always felt this way in high school because I was not an English major. So my last like serious conversations about literature were probably in high school. Um, you know, where you have to identify the theme and so forth. Um, but I remember, you know, when we would have these tests on, or these conversations about what was the author trying to say, and I would always think to myself, like, how do you know that? Like, how do you know you're not just reading too much into Wuthering Heights? And that's not at all what the author meant. And I think that I love that Tony is comfortable in many cases, like talking about why she wrote what she wrote and what she was thinking about. And it was really helpful to have that context. And so this is one of the few times where in addition to me wanting to read more of the author, it makes me want, you know, from the author, it makes me want to learn more about her as well. Um, and so it's so funny. I was just doing the very basic thing of Wikipediaing her. And one of the things that um, is mentioned is that she wrote, uh, I think her first book while, I mean, she was working in publishing, but also she was, uh, had two small children so she would get up at 4 a.m. so that she could write mm. and I was just like oh well there goes my excuse <laughs> you know because I'm you know I'm, I'm struggling right now to kind of stay on task and stay disciplined and I'm always like oh, I have all this stuff to do it's just like I'm not getting up at 4 a.m. yet so um, just learning more about who she is as a person how that informed her writing I, I I do feel inspired to learn more about her and to read, watch more of her interviews and just be her, <laughs> but also to read more of her work as well, um, which is a rare feeling. I usually am just like, oh, this is a good book. I would like to read another of Curtis Sittenfeld's book, um, but I don't really care about Curtis, the person, but now I'm just like, I would like to learn more about Mrs. I don't even feel right calling her Tony. Like, I feel like we're not we're not cool like that. <laughs> I would like to learn more about Mrs. Morrison and uh, also read more of her books. Same. Um, I, it's, it's not, it's still, there's still an, an intimidation factor, but I think too, yeah. um, that that's such a good point of like, you read someone's work and you're like, okay, cool. But like, I don't really care like what they're like. I normally get into people like if I get into someone like I'm into them and I want to learn everything so once you sent me those videos of her um interviews 
I'm like, oh, okay. I know what I'm going to be doing later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's, she's a really, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm a little bit sad that I didn't really pay attention while she was alive. I don't know that that would have translated into me meeting her, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to learn more and I'm grateful that she left so much, so many interviews and so many uh, books for us to read in her absence. Um, I and we're so glad that we have you and all that you have not that I want you to die anytime soon but um, you have left quite a mark here with your writing and with your podcast and with your emails and that'll be cool for you know future generations <laughs> if we even have future generations after coronavirus and climate change I don't know but on the off chance that uh, the world is still around 100 years from now, um, you can say that you've, you've left quite a mark. Oh, uh -huh. I have had that same thought <laughs> lately, but um, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And, and same, like I, I mean, you honestly, like you are just someone who I have so much respect for and I'm so excited to read your book. Um, yeah, you know, me too. <laughs> me too. I don't know. Um, <laughs> to like be able to have this conversation, I think. Um, you know, sometimes I get, I get nervous, or even just like about literature in general. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but I went to school for it, so yeah. Didn't I know? And yeah. especially about a topic like. And to have a perspective of like, um, especially of the black experience, but also like it's very unique and it's unique to you. And um, so I, I'm just so thankful that you came on here to share everything that you did because you even, you opened my eyes. Like there was a lot of times where I was like, man, I didn't even think about that. And that's what I love talking about books because everybody has a different point of view. Books are the best. They really are. They really are. Books are great. <laughs> Everybody, I can go buy in love with books. Go get. I I would say I would say go to your library, but I don't know if they're how library. <laughs> but you know, you can order. You can still order things online, and if you haven't read Sula, and you listen to this, there's still so many beautiful parts of the book. Oh, we didn't even talk about the the way she describes things with colors is just so like I don't know that I will ever see yellow or green the same way. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, she's good. She's good. I might try and steal it. She's good. I like it. <laughs> oh man. Well, Crystal. Um. So also, you are a writer. Um. And and you're doing. You're still, you, you do all kinds of things, um, right? For all kinds of people. Um, where can people? Yeah. Um, I try and working on it. I would recommend just visiting crystalmarie.com um, for two reasons. Number one, that's where I usually have like all the things that I've written, but also because there's another famous, well, I'm not famous, but there's an actually famous person named Crystal Marie. She is a comedian. And I'm really trying to make it so that when you Google search Crystal Marie, I come up instead of her. So, <laughs> so 
feel free to visit crystalmarie.com and join the uh join my my effort to um make myself the more important crystal marie in the world that's amazing i started by buying the crystalmarie.com uh uh e-space so hopefully uh people will stop getting a comedian named crystal marie who is by the way a beautiful woman um i believe that she's middle eastern i'm not or maybe not, or maybe she's Indian, I'm not sure. She is uh, of the brown persuasion of some type. Um, and um, she's a pretty like raunchy comedian. I'm not judging, I'm just saying, I would like to be prioritized in the search engine results okay. when people search for Crystal Murray. I think, <laughs> so everybody has their marching orders. <laughs> please, please help. <laughs> Man. Well, thank you so much for for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you again. I still owe you for life. For now on, when I think of Toni Morrison, I will think of Amanda. So you have that you have that in your uh, on your resume. <laughs> that hopefully sticks around if the world doesn't explode. But um <laughs> <laughs> well, um and thank you so much for listening. Um you know, make sure, yes, to go to crystalmarie.com, support Crystal, get on her um, email newsletter, and uh, you can hear yeah. her latest and greatest. And if you're not already um, in the book club on the Amanda Pollock email, you can also go to amandapollock.com so you know when next month's book is coming out, because it's only released there. I appreciate Crystal for making that point, because I don't say that enough of to find out for next month's book, go there. Um, but anyway, thank you all so much and can't wait to be with you soon.